1: Three, two, one, zero, all engine running. Liftoff, we have a liftoff. Welcome to a special edition of Tennis Unfiltered. It's Tennis Unfiltered Raw. Because if it wasn't going to be unfiltered enough, it's going to be unedited as well. Because this is our special late night edition, or in Calvin's case, early evening. And in my case, frankly, early morning. You're probably sick of hearing what time it is in Melbourne. But it is just about to turn 6am here in Melbourne. I've just got back to my hotel and I thought nothing more I would rather do than call up Calvin and talk about tennis for the next 40 minutes or so. Um, There really is only one place to start. I know I always say that. But there really is, and it is, of course, the second-latest finish in Grand Slam history. Andy Murray beat Tanati Kokanakis in five sets. He finished at five minutes past four in the morning. Only one match has ever gone later in Grand Slam history. That was Leighton Hewitt and Marcos Bagdatis back in 2008. They went to 4.34 for reasons as yet undiscovered. Uh, Murray came from two sets down, something he's now done a staggering 11 times in his career. The turning point, you probably could argue and would argue, came when he trailed two sets and a break, uh, had a break-back point, hit four defensive lobs, landed one over Cockanach's head, he hit the ball into the net, and then hit his racket into the court. And from then on, there were three hours of grit and grind and everything we've come to know from Andy Murray over the years. Um, Calvin... (laughs) (laughs) Uh, have, I, I, it's too raw and too fresh in my mind give me some insight I mean was this was this Murray winning it or Kokonakis losing it
0: uh, you'd have to say as much as the story is Murray and his, his phenomenal heart and his grit and resilience that is, I've never seen anything like, well I, I have no we always say we've never seen anything like that most of the great sports people have it Um, And, you know, he's he's, he's no more or no less than any of those other great sports people. Um, It was such a strange match, even just for me, sort of my experience of it, because I was doing so many different things during the course of the match. I mean, I went, I started watching a bit and then I was doing a bit of work. I was watching the same time doing some scouting of Henry and Julian's opponents for tonight while it was on. And then I went to the gym um, and watched it a little bit on my phone in the gym and then came back, cooked my dinner. Had my dinner, like uh, made a few phone calls, sat and watched a bit, um, did a bit more scouting, and then was still going on. And I, I text my mates at the start of it. Uh, I'm in a WhatsApp group with a couple of mates who watch tennis, and I said I sent a message, say early on in the day, saying Murray's getting absolutely tonked because at the very start of the match he was. Mm. I mean, Cocknackers was just teeing off, and I- and I sent them a message later on saying I sent this message six hours ago, and they're still playing. <laughs> Um but yeah, it was it was just such a such an odd match. Um a great match, you know. I think a lot of the time we, we call great matches like as as I've said before, I think a lot of the times we refer to the Nadal Djokovic matches as great matches and the, the level was phenomenal in those matches, but it was also a bit samey. Whereas this one just seemed to have a bit more um a bit more personality and, and such, didn't it?
1: Yeah, and I had watched the Rude-Brooksby match, which feels like about three days ago, but it was in fact this morning, or yesterday, well I don't know, it was recently, Um, and that was quite, uh, it it was good in places, but there was a lot of just backhand-to-backhand long rallies, and it didn't have much character, and uh, you know, great for Jensen brooksby to win, and great for Rude to admit afterwards that doing a three-week tour of South America with Rafa Nadal probably wasn't the best way to prepare for the Australian Open anyway that's for another day um, but as you say this match had so much more character and you know Murray is very popular down here and obviously it was an Australian crowd and therefore there were more in favour of him but he is very popular for everything that he's achieved down here there are lots of Scots in Melbourne as well and plenty of them turned out the, the biggest shame, I mean let's talk about the tennis first there's lots of other things we can talk about, let's talk about the tennis first Calvin, 5-6 in the third set tiebreaker in a set that Kokanakis has led in with a break twice and in fact served I think for the match and 5-6 in the breaker, he comes to the net and the ball is floating at, I would say shoulder height, what on earth happens next?
0: Yeah, it's funny because at that stage I was, I was at mum and dad's uh, watching it with my dad and um... And I, I was a, sort of had a mouthful of, mouth of food. And I remember my exact statement was like, I just said, Oh, he's missed it. And then my dad had sort of was watching it, but had just assumed he'd put it away. And my dad <laughs> went, What, he's missed it? And I said, Yeah. And uh, like, it was, it was one of those shots. Like, you couldn't believe it. You couldn't, be- it wasn't just that he missed it, it was how far he missed it. Mm. He, he must have put it, he put it wide of the tram line, I think. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. He, he missed and- it by a distance.
0: Yeah, and that's somebody who's not, you know, who's a decent volleyer. Mm. Like he's won a Grand Slam. They're playing doubles, Mm. Um, and his face was just disbelief when um, when they showed him. Like he couldn't believe what was going on. And but I think sort of it was one of those where it was disbelief. He couldn't believe what was going on. But it's still at that stage. Probably still thought, yeah, I'm still winning this. Yeah. Because the guy's 37 and he's got a metal hip. (laughs) And it's it's already past the time when he's been up, uh, been up at any stage. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think that that was probably the turning point. That was the stage where it went from Kokonak as being a heavy favourite to fifty-fifty. I think
1: mm. he he just I mean, look, mentally playing Andy Murray, I, I I compared it a little bit, and it wasn't anywhere near the same level of epic match, but the raducanu Goff match from the other night, where Raducanu actually, in the second set, played pretty well and struck the ball pretty well, but the problem with playing coco Goff is you have to hit four winners to win one point, and Andy Murray, in this kind of mood, is very similar, and, you know, in the first two sets, he was trying to play a game, and Kokanaki's just seeing it like a beach ball, and, as you say, teeing off, but by the sort of three hour mark which was about the end of the third set he was just running on instinct and andy murray's instincts are to run and get and make your life difficult and he did that incredibly well and then also started firing and you know the fourth set kind of felt inevitable like at at no point in the fourth set did i really think that was gonna win it there and then I was like, this is going five, and then it's a bit of a coin flip, and a coin flip in the fifth, you probably back Murray, maybe 55%, 60%. And I just, when he gets into that fifth set, everything changes about his game. Like, he started serving bigger. He started hitting his forehand the way that we've talked about him needing to be able to hit a lot. He still can't hit a volley. I don't know what's happened to his volleys, but... I thought he
0: volleyed better in the second half of the match, actually. I hmm. thought he got a lot better than what I'd seen him in the last 6 months to a year.
1: Hmm. Well, why has that happened? Like
0: I think I can only assume it's confidence. There's no hmm. other reason why it would be. His technique's decent on the volley. He has good hands, well great hands, great skill. I think it's one of those he's missed a, he's missed a lot and it's in his head that he's missed a lot hmm. and probably more so than at any other stage in his career. Yeah. Um it's almost better he almost volleys better when he doesn't have time to think about it. Um <laughs> His main problem, though, and I said this, I messaged you when the match was going on, James, that he still, if he could put away mid-court forehands, he'd win these matches a whole lot easier. Because mm. he still has a, his second serve's never been great, but his first serve is decent. Mm. Um, and he, But he still doesn't, he just can't put mid-court forehands away. Yeah. And there was one point, it was a big one, I can't remember what it was, I meant to make a note and I forgot. It was, was maybe in the third set, um, Breaker. Or maybe before it got to the breaker, a huge point it was, and he hit a massive first serve down the tee. Mm. And Kokkinakis has just floated a return back on on his return, and then on ball four, Kokkinakis has hit a clean winner forehand from inside the baseline. <laughs> and you think, how have you got to a stage where you're inside the baseline on that shot? Yeah. When <laughs> you know and it was because Murray he got in the midcourt and he just did nothing with it.
1: And and I think it's contrast in some ways to and I don't know why this is, but against Berrettini, he gave Berrettini very little to tee off against. You know, he gave him very little opportunity for forehand aggression. You know, Kokkinakis' forehand is different, but they're both massive weapons, and you know he understood what he had to do and. I don't know maybe just just with with having already had one five setter this week didn't quite have the physicality to be able to get in positions to focus the ball quite so much into the backhand wing um but yeah that that put away forehand only really in the last maybe half an hour forty minutes of the match did it really seem to start firing and and he hit a brilliant forehand to break in the you know the crucial break at five all in the fifth he it was a fabulous inside-out forehand that really did roll back the years. And then on match point, the backhand down the line sort of yeah, flattening yeah, it out. I mean, it's just sort of vintage Murray stuff. Um, but one thing I thought, and Murray talked about it afterwards, um, we had a quick chat with him. He was obviously quite keen to get to bed. And uh, and he complained a lot about the scheduling. And I, maybe it's something we'll talk about with George, who who isn't here because he's at work, I think, or something. Um, I don't know what time it is or what day it is. But he's not here. Um, in a full pod at the weekend, but the the scheduling is such that the day matches of which there are three ran long. Murray didn't get on court till twenty past ten and was pretty annoyed to get off court at of five past four. Obviously, um, but he also talked a lot about the conditions. Now, Calvin, you've obviously got Julian and Henry down in Australia, who I saw won their first round the doubles today and I threw to the second round of Grand Slam which is a huge achievement and a massive congrats to them and to you of course but I'd be interested to know what if anything they've said about the balls, the Dunlop balls specifically because the impression that almost everyone I've spoken to this week is that the courts are actually pretty quick but the balls fluff up so quickly that you can get very little out of them after a game or two
0: Uh, They haven't said much about the balls, they said the courts bounce pretty, pretty low Mm. um i don't think you can do anything about the balls fluffing up because that's humidity that's going right. to happen um you know i don't think we've ever got out of that in australia um and i don't think we probably ever will mm. um so yeah that's and you know it's it's hard to have a great deal of sympathy with, as a tennis coach with with balls when they change them every seven and nine games <laughs> <You know, laughs> Most tennis any tennis coach who listen and we, we ain't changing them every seven and nine months some of them so <laughs> like like the way that some of these players complain about the balls then it, it's a bit like yeah all right fair enough um <laughs> but yeah And, you know, you change them often, you know, I'm sort of semi-joking in that, but the most you're ever playing with those balls is maybe three or four games when Mm. they're knackered. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's not great to have to serve with them in that. And in doubles, even more so, because holding service is so paramount in doubles. Mm. So if you're having to serve with the balls on, say, the eighth game, that can be tough. But that's the case anywhere.
1: Yeah. Um, before we move on we should talk a, a little bit about as I say I, I caught a little bit of Henry and Julian um, this morning as I think it was as they came through in straight sets I um, I very nearly forgot that it was three sets not five because they, they won the second set and they started like celebrating and I was like lads, a bit, bit early, in it? You've got another set to win. <laughs> and then, like, oh, no, they didn't okay. celebrate much, actually. No, no. Was they, muted, wasn't they, it was quite muted, not it? was quite muted, but I was like, oh, a hug for, for just winning the second set? I'm not convinced about yeah. that. Um, but yes, it is, of course, best of three. <laughs> um, they yeah, tell yeah. me a bit about how they felt about the match and, and you know being in the second round of a slam for the first time. It's a big deal, but they seem pretty level-headed.
0: Yeah, they're very level-headed. I, I think you know the, the opponents weren't great. To be fair. Um they singles players. They were singles players, you could tell that because in the in the whole match they didn't cross once, uh, <laughs> off serve and they didn't play I formation once either. So um it was um you know, it, you've got to beat everybody uh who's in front of you, but that was a great a great draw for the lads. And they mm. they proved that they're a level above that as well. You know, they're they're a quality doubles pair. Mm. And they proved that today. They 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 sort of brushed aside those two, but uh they play again tonight and it'd be a um, it'd be a different contest they're playing Harser and Middlecoop and Harser is absolutely a doubles uh, sorry Middlecoop's absolutely a doubles player and, and Harser is a singles player but also plays very decent doubles so mm. um,
1: they're the number 16 seeds as well right so that's um, that's yeah. a, a step up I mean but they they must be loving the chance I mean I know they've not been playing together that long so it's not like they've been grinding away as a pair but you know these guys this is what they dream of right like this is yeah. what they want to be doing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. You know, you want to be at the big tournaments. That's the mm. thing. And and for them at their ranking as well, because of, you know, it, it's tough at doubles to get up the rankings. So if they want to get into, if they want to try and get into Miami and Indian Wells, which is only, I guess, six, seven weeks away, mm. they need to get the Grand Slam points because the 250 points are not, probably not going to do it for them. And the 250s yeah. are all they're getting in at the minute. Like yeah. they made a semi final of, I made the semi-final, of the two fifty, two weeks ago, and they they only went up, I think, three places. Hmm.
1: Whereas, but just by winning a round, I think they jump up seven places at the grand slam. Is it that so many? I know that yeah, it's,
0: nine, it's ninety points, and I think yeah. it's maybe a hundred and fifty or something for um for if they win tonight. Hmm.
1: Well, um, best of luck, of course. The, the match may be over by the time anyone listens to this, but um, that just depends on my uh,
0: turning things around.
1: Um, let's move on and talk about Rafael Nadal because look there's a lot of stories that have gone on this week and we're not gonna be able to talk about all of them and in the full pod we'll pick out the best ones but the nadal story is massive um we knew coming into this tournament that he wasn't in great shape but he had managed to deal with the first round he got through that okay he seemed to be moving all right and all the various injuries okay jack draper probably if had he had been fit for the whole match might well have troubled him but nadal looked relatively decent um I mean, Calvin, before we come on to Nadal's injury, it's worth because we haven't talked about it with you, talking about Jack taking on Rafa, I mean it it says a lot about the guy that when I spoke to him afterwards he said I like I felt in control of the match at the beginning of the third set, having just won the second.
0: Yeah, um he did, and he was right when he said that. And, you know, as as I said on the last pod, I'd thought he'd beat Nadal and I still I think he would have beaten. Mm. Um, if if he'd have stayed, if the cramp hadn't have come, but cramps one of those things that you can't ever you can't ever plan for, um, mm. and it just happened. But he, he was in control of the match; he was dominant in that second set, and I think that would have continued.
1: Mm. It, it's hard to watch a guy, you know, especially at the beginning of his career, biggest match of his career, first time playing on Labour, first time playing Rafa, all these things, and then go through what he did with the cramping. But cramp is also. It's preventable right like it's it's something that you can work out why it happens you can get yourself fitter and you can get yourself into a place where you can prevent it right
0: yeah but also it's one of those things that you can't ever 100% guarantee it's not going to happen hmm. it, it just tends to happen you can reduce the likelihood that it's going to happen but i don't think you know you still see there's a reason why you still see the world's greatest athletes sometimes cramp hmm. um, yeah and um yeah, it, it's, it's, wor-
1: it's worth pointing out as well that Jack, uh, he said this afterwards, although he, he sort of had to be forced to say it because he didn't want to give an excuse. Because I think that's the kind of guy he is. He, he planned to do a seven week preseason. He only ended up doing two weeks of that because he got ill twice. Um, just about everyone who went to Battle of the Brits got ill. I hear Joe Salisbury basically gave everyone the lurgy that I know a lot of people have had. It's not Covid, but it's like Covid. I had it. It was horrible. And I think Jack. Missed a couple of weeks of training with that as well, and and that obviously takes a lot out of you from the physical perspective if you can't train properly. So I feel kind of sorry for him on that front. He says he's going to try and get a physical block in now, but it's a tricky time of the season. Indian Wells and Miami are coming up. I know IMG certainly won't want him to miss those. Then you're into the clay, which obviously isn't his favourite surface, but he'll be direct entry to the French Open, and and he'll want to, to, you know, to to move there and and have a few tournaments under his belt. I mean. It it's tricky isn't it Calvin the way this the pro season is shaped because if you don't get pre-season in the off season such as it is you you kind of have to sacrifice tournaments to to do it don't you you have to be like okay well I'm not going to play through these three tournaments and instead I'm going to put some put some physical work in
0: yeah and it's it's more complicated for for Jack and the British lads because they've got to go to Bogota um from, and I think most of the lads I think the lads who are still there are going to go straight from Melbourne now to Columbia
1: For for context, Great Britain playing Columbia in Davis Cup tie, away from home at altitude, on clay uh, straight after the Australian Open I spoke to Jamie Murray about it today and his his wife is from um, Bogota and he said yeah, it's a really hard place to go because as soon as you get off the plane and start walking around, you feel it even you know, even him—he's a professional athlete—and he says even yeah. I like first couple of days. And then you know, there's also the issue with the balls where you can, so you can play pressurized or non-pressurized balls, and you know, actually Jamie made an interesting argument, Calvin, which you might be able to speak to, which is that if you play with pressureless balls, they don't fly in altitude, but they feel completely different coming off the racket. So Jamie's argument was actually you should play with pressured balls. Because at least they feel the same on the racket, and you just have to adjust the way you hit the ball.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's one of those, but neither of them feel anything like a normal tennis ball. <laughs> That's the thing. Like, you don't. He's right. the The actual ball, the the normal pressured ball that they play with, feels the same off the racket. It just flies all over the shop and is uncontrollable. Hmm. Whereas the the pressureless ball feels strange off the racket, but it's a more similar flight path once it leaves your racket so there's no real ideal situation there but yeah he, he's right for it it's just it feels like a heavier ball that when you're hitting a, a pressure a pressureless ball hmm.
1: um Rafael Nadal's usually got opinions on tennis balls uh, in fact he had opinions on tennis balls here in uh in Melbourne he didn't like the balls as it happened as almost no one does um but usually when Nadal says he doesn't like the balls he wins the tournament just as he did at the French Open 3 years ago uh he's not going to win this tournament he's out he lost to Mackenzie McDonald in straight sets, uh, McDonald was completely outplaying him even before Rafa pulled up injured in the second set, took a medical timeout uh, and then limped his way through the third set which McDonald took well. Um, he revealed afterwards that he had been managing this problem for a couple of days, it was something he had felt and it got worse during the match. Uh, he's now revealed that it's going to rule him out for six to eight weeks and doesn't really know about the sunshine swing in America. but. He's confident he'll be back uh, for the clay. Uh, Calvin, uh, I wrote a piece for the Eye this week entitled, Will Rafa Nadal Retire? The answer, of course, is yes, eventually. Everyone does. But imminently, I don't know. It, it was interesting watching his body language during that third set because, as you know, during a changeover, Rafa is usually like fidgeting. He's adjusting bottles. He's making sure his drinks are at the right level. He's fiddling with tape, with rackets. And in that third set, he's changeovers he just sat and stared like it was almost weird he's one of the changeovers he just sat and stared at the ceiling. the roof was closed. one of them he just stared straight ahead and then eventually like you know stuck his head between his knees i mean I, I felt like it was a guy really considering whether he wanted to do this all again
0: yeah um you get the feeling he knows he knows there's not long left mm. um, and it's just how long he can get out of it but it's such a funny one isn't it I've, we've said the same you know I'd, i looked at him i think it was the us open last year and you just wonder how does he leave this how does he possibly leave this when you know you look at how he competes and the theatre that he creates how do you walk away from it and i i i wondered today the same when i was watching murray you know mm. it's like you think that you're thinking the The automatic response is to think: Are they thinking? Can I still be competitive? You know, can I still win uh, at this level? But then you saw when the crowd was still there, the crowd was full, and they were going nuts, and he won that point where he was sticking the lobs up. You just wonder whether sometimes they just they don't even care whether they win or lose. They just don't <laughs> want to leave this behind, or they don't want. It's not really they don't care whether they win or lose. They do. They deeply care, but they they just want to keep seeing if they can. and once you draw a line under it that that then goes there's no there's no replacing it that doesn't matter what level it is and i always tell players probably say this the same regular listeners will have heard me say it before when when players at any level are thinking about saying i'm thinking about stopping there's you once you stop you'll never play another match where there's something on it at five all in the third set or something like that you might play some friendly stuff and you know, you might play some some club tennis, but you'll never play anything that's meaningful because you can't recreate that. It's impossible. So when, you, when you're when you going to stop, make sure you're ready for that, that that's it. That's the last time you'll ever play anything meaningful. And I don't know how they can possibly walk away from it.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? Federer just had to be dragged kicking and screaming, but I think he doesn't... Uh, not to say the Federer isn't competitive, but when he got humped at wimbledon you know when her catch absolutely rammed him he was like well i don't i don't want that to happen again and and yeah uh, whereas like i think murray and nadal were like okay i'll do something different federer i think went well no i'll just retire because i don't want to do that again um whereas murray and that was what was kind of different about this match that he won tonight he has lost that match before you know when he beat james duckworth Uh, in something like four and a half hours or when he beat Yoshihito Nishioka at the US Open or when he beat Nicholas Basilashvili here last year every time he came back two days later and got absolutely panned because he basically woke up next morning and couldn't walk whereas this time he came back played five sets and won and that is a totally different experience I think compared to what uh Maybe what the others have gone through, but yeah, as you say, it's an incredibly hard thing to walk away from. And I
0: think as well, it's it's interesting hearing Murray's wording of it. It's always as long as I'm competitive, I'll keep playing, and then that's changed from I want to win the slams, mm. you know. And I think it's that's where he's at now. As long as he he'd have loved every minute of that match today, yeah. I think, yeah. And that's and you know, it's I don't know what Andy Murray does, and I know I don't know Rafa Nadal at all. I know Andy Murray a little bit, but you know I don't know Roger Federer or Novak Djokovic at all. I don't know what they d- Federer always seemed like he was the one who's probably most capable of it of of just walking away from it. Mm. Um and Djokovic the next one I think I've always thought the two who you just think how are they going to stop doing this is Murray and Nadal. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah, they not not to say that they don't have other things going on in their life. I mean Murray Oh no,
0: came. it's it's nothing that. It's it's more just that like this one element of it. And it's not the it's it's just the competing. Yeah. But the, they've done it all their lives well, James. That's the thing. It's not like when you retire at something else, you know, when you retire from your job. You've probably only started doing that job at 23 24 or later Mm. you gotta remember with Andy Murray and Rafa Nadal and Roger Federer and Novak Djokovic this is something they've done since they were five years old
1: yeah they don't remember anything else there's no there's no memory of life without without tennis yeah um let's just I just quickly want to kind of glance my eye across the rest of the draw um to some interesting players who've kind of come through it I mean there's an absolute a contingent of Americans come through the draw uh, of all shapes and sizes Um, in the bottom half alone we've got Ben Shelton, JJ Wolf, Michael Moe, uh, Tommy Paul and Jensen Brooksby all through to the third round now Ben Shelton Calvin is someone that people are very excited about I think he's the NCAA singles champion and much is expected of him but he's never been outside America which probably tells you a lot about how much developmental tennis you can play just inside the United States I suppose doesn't it?
0: I didn't know that he never left America. Literally, never that left the all. country.
1: His flight to the that's to Australia amazing. was the first time he left.
0: That's amazing. because His dad was a tennis player as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, his parents his, met his in Australia. Some, yeah, yeah, and his dad is um, the head coach of uh, University of Florida. Oh right, so, I didn't know that. Um, of Florida State, one of what the gate, whichever the gate is. At, yeah, that's U F. Yeah, yeah um, so you'd think he would have been well travelled, but uh, no. Um, I mean, he's a hell of a player, is Ben. Um, nice kid as well. Um, he's got an absolute cannon of a serve. And he's got, as well, maybe the best overhead I've ever seen anyone have. Um, uh, he... uh, go, on. go on. No, no, no. Uh, no, he's the speed at which he can get back at and the way that he can slam it down straight into the ground. Uh, it is genuinely like an NBA player hmm. um, slam dunking. He's, I you, I don't think I'll, I've ever seen him miss one, and I've never seen him not put one away thunderously.
1: Well, um, he's got an extremely good chance of making a quarterfinal here. He's going to play wildcard Alexi Popperin, who's very talented, but you know, it's just come through five sets against Taylor Fritz, um, in the third round. If he wins that, he'll play either J.J. Wolf or Michael Moe. Michael Moe, by the way, to with two M's O H. Uh, is a lucky loser in the draw. He replaced David Goffin, who was ill at the last minute. Michael Moe had already booked his flight home. He was actually packing his bags in his hotel room and had checked out uh, when he was rung to say he'd got a lucky loser space. So he had to rapidly cancel his flight and check back in. He then beat Lakoli in five sets in the first round, beat Alexander Zverev in four sets in the second round and has a hell of a chance to go quite a lot further. So... Um, I actually watched him play Benoit Paire in qualifying and I felt quite sorry for him then because Benoit Paire was being Benoit Paire and I always think it's unfortunate when you're on the other side of the net from that but uh, yeah he's got a fabulous chance. Um, As does anyone in the bottom half I would say and that includes Andy Murray. I mean (laughs) hell he's got Roberto Bautista Agut next which feels like an absolute nightmare opponent when you've just played a six hour match. I refuse to put limits on what Andy Murray can do now because he just keeps surprising me. He keeps Cam norrie me. Which is convenient because I want to ask you about Cam Norrie, Calvin, or specifically his opponent, because he also had a late-night match the other night. He beat Constant Lestienne uh, in four sets that finished about two in the morning on an outside court. Now, is Constant Lestienne not someone that you have mentioned previously as someone making their way up the ranks?
0: Uh, he, he is but maybe not in a positive light he is, um, if, if you wanted to If you thought that um, If anyone thought that Quarantine Mattet is a one off um, Constant Lestien Is evidence that he's not um, Read what you will into that but, uh, he,
1: but he is inside I mean he's 30 And he's inside the top 100 for the first time Like he's now 60 in the world And he did give Cam a lot of problems And he's pretty unpredictable
0: uh, I, I Luke, who I coach played him at doubles at Ilkley Challenger last year, and he played with um. What's the guy called? The other French guy who really dropped down the rankings, Pui, Lucas Pui. Oh yeah. Um, and Lucas Pouy has a bit of a short temper. Um, <laughs> and Lestienne got into an argument with Luke's partner, Aidan McHugh, and um, I Lucas Pouy said something along the lines of. To Les Dièn, if he doesn't hit you first, I am <laughs> um, to his own partner. <laughs> um, and yeah, he's he's that kind. He's just one of those guys who like like Mutet, I guess a little bit like Fognini, who they just can't not do it. They can't not shit house. Mm. Like it just comes so the shit housing comes so naturally to them <laughs> that they don't even have to think about it. Like a tactical, like mind games or some goes beyond mind games they don't even know they're doing it
1: <laughs> well um, speaking of shithousery i watched jensen brooksby versus caspar today and i think jensen brooksby might be the biggest shithouse on the tour um he regularly celebrates net cords without any apology which I, I think you would be in favor of calvin because you think the apology is nonsense um he also today when kasper ruud was to be fair a little bit injured and break point down kasper ruud like you know went to get a ball stuck it up in the air as you do just cuz it was all he could do and it was landing it was inside the doubles tram line but it was clearly landing out and jensen brooksby took a massive swing at it and deliberately missed it to let it bounce out and then break serve and jogged off to his seat which i don't think i've ever seen before in a grand slam match
0: he's just anybody like Anybody who's watched any college tennis <laughs> will recognise all of what Jensen Brooksby does. Because <laughs> it's just like, and, and some people talk about it like it's a the college tennis thing. When you hear somebody go like, it's so college it's stuff like that and it <laughs> spoke about both some people talk about it in a derogatory way mm. and other people talk about it in a positive way I'm definitely <laughs> of the latter of that it, most of what goes off really is ridiculous <laughs> and in no other walk of life would you not get a good hiding for behaving the way that college tennis players do Yeah, but, I, do,
1: um... I, I do think Kasparud probably had some pretty stern words with him in the locker room knowing Rude, uh, I Yeah, <laughs> I think he may have had a few words to say to him uh, afterwards in the locker room Um, As I say, Kasparud did get a medical timeout during that match for an upper leg injury, and he did admit afterwards that probably swanning around South America playing exhibition matches might have been better off replaced with some rest and then some pre-season fitness.
0: I just wanted to speak as well while we're on injuries about Djokovic's, which I'm convinced is another just absolute myth (laughs) that, that this... There's look I I thought about it t- today on the I was actually driving when he was playing and the, on the radio they were talking about his this hamstring injury he's got right anybody who has ever had a hamstring injury of any level will know that if you have an ham- a hamstring injury of any level you are not playing competitive sport at that level <laughs> it is impossible like it, it's like it's like trying to drive a car where the brake the brakes have gone the brake lead has snapped. That's what the hamstring is. It's what helps you decelerate. Yeah. Um, and the pain that goes through the back of your leg is unbearable. It's not only the pain is unbearable. Your leg doesn't work, like <laughs> because you don't have the deceleration muscle there. So I just don't. I honestly I don't believe he's got an injury at all. I, I really don't.
1: Uh, I think and... you're probably right, and we know that Djokovic likes to ham up injuries, you know, for whatever reason. I think probably there is something there. Like, I think probably he does think his hamstring is a bit tight or a bit pulley. You can
0: feel it being tight. Yeah, this is the thing. You can feel it being tight, but that's resolvable by, by stretching or a massage and that kind of thing, and it would move away, and you wouldn't necessarily have it strapped up. Hmm. But it's not like you can't go. You, you don't have a niggle in the hamstring that's not one of those things you can have it it's it's the the nature of the muscle that it is you can't have a niggle on it you can have different degrees of pain and tear hmm. and pull but once you've got that it's impossible to run yeah. like you you can't run and also i don't know whether our listeners know this it's it's the the hamstring is factually the slowest healing muscle in the human body so it's not like one of those you can go well, he's going to maybe try and get through the first week and hopes it gets better. Hmm. So, Because uh, it, it won't. It won't get long. It's basically, if you've even if you've just pulled your hamstring, you're basically six weeks without running.
1: Hmm. Um, he says he's not going to practice on days in between matches uh, in an effort to give himself a better chance to recover, but obviously take that with a pinch of salt. Uh, it was good enough today to see off Enzo Cuacao, who I feel like you might have come across at some point in your travels, um uh, i
0: have yeah and enzo cacao actually he's one of the very few players to have beat henry and julian in the last six months <laughs> is um, that right ran, randomly yeah. yeah and it was a match that i'd actually forgotten about uh, and it wasn't that long ago i think it was only like september yeah but i was looking through their results the other day going back sort of to the summer and i thought oh god yeah completely forgot about that match mm. um it was him and another singles guy who who beat them
1: he um he Born in Mauritius, he's a sort of 27-year-old journeyman who's scraped his way in and, and made it to the second round for the first time. He did take a set off Djokovic, which um, was quite impressive, to be fair, but then Djokovic bageled him in the fourth set to, to really hammer home the uh, how injured he was in terms of his hamstring. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I'm kind of with you. I think probably the, the truth lies somewhere in between. If it was uh,
0: anything else, you know, I think it would, it would be up for... It's it's the 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 injury that he says he's got. I just I won't accept. I've had bad hamstring. I've had it not bad. I've had a hamstring injuries before and I know people who've had them and I'm still through years and years of playing and watching sport. I'm still to see anybody who can have a minor hamstring injury and still compete.
1: Hmm. Um very finally Calvin, um we're going to ask George to do a little uh, report on the WTA draw. Um so we'll stick with the ATP for my last question. I'm going to read you the top remaining seeds, not including Djokovic, and I want you to pick who you think is the biggest threat to him for the title. Stefano Tsitsipas, andre Rublev, Felix auger aliassime Daniil Medvedev or Holger Rune?
0: Uh, Felix. Really? Yeah, I think so. He's beaten him. Beat him at uh, United Cup, didn't he? Not United yeah. Cup. Um, Labour Cup. Labour Cup and... I don't read he's not been in great form the first two matches but I don't read loads into that I mean he's um, slow he, you,
1: you know a stat I found the other day he's only ever once won his first round match at a slam in three sets twice like he's such a yeah. slow starter for whatever reason
0: yeah, it's weird isn't he he, he, start, he seems to go two sets to love down and then just cruise through the next three yeah those classic like, five set um,
1: matches where you play badly yeah. for two sets and well for three
0: Yeah, to be fair, any of those guys could. I mean, Tsitsipas has actually looked quite decent. Roon has been in good form, although he's played crap opponents.
1: Um... I mean, Medvedev is the one for me because he's gone about his business very well. He's obviously got a good record in Australia. And I think with the conditions as they are, you know, you mentioned the boys saying the ball is bouncing quite low. I think that's because of the ball and the humidity. I think that'll suit... His flat hit, I think it'll make him, yeah. whereas, you know, the guys like Sitsapasa are putting a bit more shape on the ball. I think they might struggle to get as much purchase or as much change out of yeah. the conditions. Um,
0: yeah, you can, yeah, you can't write Medvedev off. You know, he's won a slam, he's been in other finals. He's just not, just doesn't look the same player to hmm. me. And I think as well, when he played Djokovic the other week, it looked like Djokovic had his number, hmm. which he's not had previously
1: well we'll see um, exactly what we get out of Medvedev against Sebastian Korda his first real test um, Stefan sits pass up against Talangri Griekspoor, which I have picked as my upset because well you've got to pick an upset in the third round it's very difficult um, but that match probably will take in place by the time you listen to this we'll get a bit of George so you'll hear a bit about the WTA but we'll be back over the weekend to look forward to the second week of the Aussie Open another day is here and you're ready for it what to wear check breakfast lunch and dinner check
2: Welcome to the second half, and you may well notice that it is a different cast for this half, which is very exciting for you, and slightly bad news for me. I was out enjoying a nice dinner uh, in Golders Green, a nice place called Tofu Vegan, which I highly recommend. There's a few different uh, establishments of that across London that are very nice if you happen to have a go, and... I was thinking, oh, well, James and Calvin have going to have done the podcast earlier this evening. I'll look forward to listening to that later. And I get a text from a, what I can only assume is a greatly sleep deprived James Gray asking me to come and record the second half of the podcast on my own later on. So here I am. It's about 10 o'clock in the UK, a couple of hours before the Australian Open kicks off again um and i'm going to take you through some a recap of the women's draw so far ahead of the start of the third round tomorrow or by the time you're listening uh probably today so it's been a pretty interesting start to the women's draw i'm going to take it section by section uh, just as a quick side note i'm always very impressed by james's ability to do these monologues um he he really is uh, quite capable of just chatting to himself for a long time and keeping it engaging so I, I do apologize in advance for not being quite as skilled as at that as he is but i will give it my best go and i think we'll we'll have a we'll have a good time together even if we're missing james's glorious broadcasting skills and calvin's uh dry cutting ability to uh chop people down and deliver his tactical analysis in the driest way possible I'll do my best to factor in a bit of both as we go along. So in the section one of the draw in the women's side, we've got Igor Sfiontek, who is the clear, obvious favourite to win this section. I think everyone would kind of agree with that. And she's a very, very popular pick in fantasy tennis. Some would say "You're, you're almost crazy not to pick her. She's that good. And it's been relatively plain sailing for her so far. Pass Julnium, Passasorio in round two, facing one of the more interesting stories so far, facing Christina Ushka in round three. This is a qualifier. She's a fairly, well, not young, but fairly new to the kind of Grand Slam scene, if you like. Only reached the first round of the French Open. Um, last year she had her debut in a Grand Slam was in the first round of the US Open 2021 um, and this is her first time past the second round so well done to her it would be some shock for the 25 year old Spaniard to take out Sviantec, but she has beaten Bianca Andrescu, former US Open champion of course has struggled to hit those highs since Andreescu and it's a bit of a shame we perhaps didn't get that Sviantec Andreescu third round but It'll be interesting to see how Buschke does. Then the winner of that will be taking on Elena Ribakina, the Wimbledon champion. It's nice to see her back in some form. She's had a really solid start. Two straight sets wins against Cotteretto and Kaya Yuvan. uh, And she'll take on Danielle Collins, who came through one of the best matches at the second round, I thought, against someone who long-time listeners of the pod will know. I'm a big fan of Karolina Makova, who's had a lot of injury troubles in recent times, really strong check player and she's had some good results here in the past and she pushed Danielle Collins, who, of course, reached the final last year. Really, really close. It was 7-6 McCover in the first set, 2-6 Collins in the second. And it went down to a deciding championship tiebreak, which Collins won 10-6. So that'll be a pretty tasty third round match between Ribakino and Collins. And Sviontek is guaranteed to get a serious test in the last 16, even if Buschka doesn't quite provide it. So that, that's the first section of the draw of how that's played out so far. On to section two. From a British perspective, it would be remiss of me not to speak about Emma Radicano. I, th- I think we can all agree, probably par for the course for Raducanu, given the the issues she was facing with her ankle kind of coming into the event. She obviously eased past Corpatch in the first round, which we all said was a good draw. I was, you know, I suspected Corpatch might win from the perspective of, we just didn't know where Raducanu was in, in terms of fitness, but um, Emma did a good job there. And then, yeah, you know, defeat to Coco Goff, there's no shame in that at the minute. Goff, one of the, the top players on the tour, um, close second set, went to a tie-break. But I think that's about as good as we really could have expected from Raducanu at this tournament, given the context coming into it. Um, so Goff is going to play Bernardo Pera, the compatriot, in the third round. The winner of that will take on Yelena Ostapenko, who's started really well, or Katerini Bayindi, a 28-year-old Ukrainian. Again, not not a great history of um, great Grand Slam results. Never been past the first round at Wimbledon, a couple of second round appearances at the French and the US Open. But this is the, her first time in the third round of a Grand Slam as well. We all know how unpredictable the women's draw can be, but you have to say an Ostapenko-Goff fourth round would be pretty tasty too. former Grand... Sorry, one former Grand Slam champion in Ostapenko and Goff is someone we're all expecting to be picking up slams in the future. So that could be a really interesting match if we if we get that. Section three sees one of the favourites for the tournament, Jessica Bakula. She's made a really strong start for... Thrashed Christiane from Romania in the first round, love and one, and eased past Saznovich two, and then six, and uh, round two. Place facing Marta Kostyuk in the third round. Kostyuk, of course, had her big breakout here in, at the Australian Open many years ago as a really young teenager. Um, maybe hasn't quite reached the heights that some thought she might at that stage, but. No time like the present to break out. She's still relatively young. Well, relatively young. It's probably harsh. She's still twenty years old. But given how young it was when she kind of made that big burst here, um, it feels like she's been around a long time. I suppose she has. So that will be an interesting match as well. And the winner could be the return of kind of Barbara Krejčíková, who you know won the French Open, was in really good form, one of the top players in the women's tour, and then struggled so much with injury. Last year, really good to see her back. Okay, she's faced two qualifiers in the first two rounds, but won comfortably. She plays Kalanaya, who who shocked Petra Petra Kovicida with a 7-5, 6-4 win uh, and also beat former Grand Slam semi-finalist Coco van der Wey. Section four, we had... We've got Madison Keyes taking on Azarenka. That's a really good third-round tie. Lots of good third-round ties in the women's draw this time. And the winner of that likely playing Maria Sakari. sakari's taking on Zhu Lin from China, the 28-year-old. Again, a third-round Grand Slam debutant after a really surprised result for um, Zhu, beating Jill Teichman, 6-2, 6-2, I think I said probably a a case of the curse of the commentator from me last week where I said Teichman's always very, very solid, (laughs) not quite this time, but she was solid enough to knock out uh, the other British hopeful in the women's draw, Harriet Dart 7-5, 6-1, which I think we had all predicted would happen. So that's the top half of the draw. It's looking pretty exciting. I think we'll potentially get some really good fourth round matches there section 5 was one that me and james had a bit of a a bit of a, <laughs> a bit of a disagreement over whether we thought this was a a uh, a good section or not last week i think um but it's is kind of fallen apart as i thought it might with Kina surprisingly losing one and one to gracheva in the first round gracheva's gone on to reach the third round where she's facing one of my top fantasy picks um and the t- my team's named after Karolina Pliskova. It's Plisko Inferno, which isn't one of my better names, but better than nothing. Um, and then someone who's really popular from a uh, fantasy perspective for her name, if nothing else, Katie Volinet. Probably the perfect name for a tennis player. She stunned the ninth seed Kudamatova, in three sets, six four two six six two. And she takes on Zhang Shui. So this feels like a really open section. I thought Pliska would come through it, which is why I backed her. um, And I'm at great pains to say she probably should come through from this position. Um, But knowing her, it'll almost certainly fall apart and kind of kill my fantasy team off in the process. Um, So section six, we've got Annette Kontuvite out, the 16th seed. She lost to Magda Lynette, who we've seen kind of bring some ups, upsets about, about over the years. It was nice to see Taylor Townsend back getting a win, and she actually won her first three sets of this tournament 6 1, 6 1, 6 1. But unfortunately, particularly for me and my fantasy team, she crashed out uh, to Alexandra over the 19th seed. Uh, it was 6 1, 2, 6, 3, 6. And Alexandrova now faces Lynette and will fancy her chances of reaching round four where she's likely going to face Caroline Garcia, who's made a pretty good start here, beating Seb of the Canadian qualifier and then a second Canadian and the more accomplished Layla Fernandez. That was a really tight, interesting match. 7-6, 7-5. So that'll be... Potentially a pretty good fourth round as well between Garcia and Alexandrova. And then hopefully, from my perspective, reaching Pliskova in the course final of that section. In section seven, we've got Arena Sabalenka flying 6-1, 6-4, 6-3, 6-1. We've spoken so many times about will this be the slam where Sabalenka makes the breakthrough? And she's started as we will hope she comes on. Nice to see Elise Mertens back um making a good little run at the slam as well she's in the third round she's reached the semi-finals here of course in 2018 um took out galbine muguruza in the first round someone who just you know hasn't got going recently um and then lauren davis So not the easiest first two rounds but a, an interesting test for her now against Savalenka. um in the other side of Section 7, Belinda Bencic playing some good stuff at the minute, um, the 25-year-old obviously Olympic gold medal winner. She's going to face Camilla Giorgi, who was facing controversy over her potential COVID status. Reports in Italy had spoken about um, some allegations of fraud in there. Um, but she is certainly no fraud in terms of her tennis tournament, Pumping Pavlyuchenko love and one Pavlyuchenko using a protected ranking, and then taking out qualifier Anna Karolina Schmiedlova four and three. So you back Benčić and Savalenka to be meeting in the fourth round, but Georgi and Mertens definitely now how a place, and so that'll be an interesting set of matches as well. And then section eight probably been the most interesting section so far in terms of the big names on paper going out. The biggest, of course, was second seed Ons Chubour, who, who battled past Zidanecek in round one. She's had two really big tussles in the first two rounds, um, but was beaten by Olympic silver medalist, former French Open runner-up, Marquetta Vondrusova, again using a protected ranking. And Vondrusova will now go on to face Herkapachu compatriot Huvotova, one of the two Fru- overs in the tournament. Um really talented Czech sisters, Linda and Brenda. So that will be a really interesting match as well. And then the winner will take on one of Donovekic back playing some good stuff in the third round of a slam. And another surprise package Paris Parisas Diaz, the 31 year old from Spain. She is Into the third round of the Australian Open for back to back years, having never gone past the first round in any of the other slams. So she clearly loves it out here. Um, some great results for her. She beat Beatrice Hadad Meyer, who is someone we've spoken about so much over the last year how good she's been outside the slams. But when it comes to the slams, she has just completely failed to deliver, never gone past the second round of a slam. And she was the 14th seed here, which feels a real disconnect and uh, then beat Potapova, who beat one of my fantasy players Sloan Stevens, who I picked basically because I just couldn't come up with anyone else and immediately regretted it. And so it proved I should regret it. Um, so yeah, that's really opened up this bottom section. I mean, Jabor someone we've spoken about quite a lot in terms of, will she go on to win a slam? I've always said no. It's another disappointing exit for her, but she's proven time and time again over the last year that she bounces back from bad results. So hopefully she'll get back into some good form. But I find it really tough to look past Fiontek at the minute. And if I was going to be picking a final, I'd probably be eyeing Fiontek Sabalenka. I've got a bit of a feeling about Sabalenka that this is going to be the one. So cue her going out ASAP. I'm not sure if James actually did run through the fantasy uh, results or not. No one's briefly, so I apologize if I'm covering old ground. But just a quick congrats so far to Big Bods, Danny Boy and Kazors, who are the top three fantasy players. Kazors incredibly has nine of his ten players left. Uh, James is doing very well up in 19th, only 60 points off the lead with seven players to go i have been snaked is how i would put it i've lost four players but two of them two of them have been to bloody withdrawals can you believe it that is absolutely unbelievable i lost nick kyrgios and then david Goffin, who fell ill and that one's really disappointing because he was in zverev's section of the draw and i really fancied him to kind of sneak through so i was really a Guesses about that, but I am grateful to my wild card Alexi Popperin, who beat Taylor Fritz earlier. As I mentioned, Carolina Pliskova is in my team. And then I'm hoping for a Djokovic Medvedev final in the men to carry me all the way, all the way to where I'm not quite sure. I probably can't win the whole thing unless my boy Popperin keeps going. But you never know. That draw's really, really opened up. So hope you're all enjoying that. Um, So tomorrow, let's or today, as it probably is when you're listening, or maybe not even today. Seeing as James always tells me people listen to podcasts in very weird ways, ways I can't really imagine. Particularly for something like tennis, where it feels you'd want to get your weekly updates. But we have Krachikova versus Mm Kalinaya tomorrow, and then on the Rod Laver Arena, kicking us off from the women's perspective, we have Pagula versus Kostyuk. On Margaret Court, we have Kozlova Ostapenko on 1573, and we have Ruba Collins on the Kia Arena. Later on on Margaret Court, we then have Sfiontek and Buska, and then Pera and Goff on Labour. And then the night session, we've got Keys and Azarenka on Labour, and Zu Sakari on Margaret Court. So, a really strong set of women's matches which I'm told is what I'm covering. So I hope James did give you a run-through of the men's matches on tomorrow. Maybe I'll just do it just in case. So we've got Vuksovichs versus Sinner. That'll be a good one. Sissipat v Greek Spore. McDonald v Nishioka. Cherindolo, Oger Nori Leheka. Herkat, Shapovalov. Kachinov, TFO. Kord and Medvedev felt like those matches were getting stronger the more I read out there. Some really good ones towards the end. Herkat, Shapovalov, Hachinov, Tierphone, Kord and Medvedev. Three really nice round three ties. So that's about it from us this week. I'm sorry if I've bored you to death with my lovely monologue. As I said, James is far, far better at this than I am. Um but we will look to get together the three of us at some point over the next week and i'm sure james will be attempting once he's getting a little bit more sleep um to bring some much better monologue speaking than i am able to provide catch you all soon thanks a lot bye sports social podcast network